0: Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. The definition of groan, a deep mournful sound expressive of pain, grief, displeasure, despair. An inarticulate, low, moaning sound of stress or strain. All right, I want everyone here to give me your best groan on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Man, you guys are good. You're good at groaning. You've obviously had some practice at groaning. You know, we as humans, we groan a lot, don't we? I mean, some of us, we groan as soon as our feet hit the floor in the morning and our bodies say, no, not again. We groan over the weather, and we groan over traffic. We groan over work, students groan over homework. We groan over inflation, and the cost of everything going up and up and up, and we groan over the state of this world, and the state of our nation. We groan over politics, and over politicians. And we're not alone in our groaning. As a matter of fact, Paul reminds the Romans in chapter eight, this is what he says. We're not the only ones groaning. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have, been, who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And so, all of creation groans, our bodies groan, this entire world groans, and, and it groans under the weight and the curse of sin. It was Isaiah who wrote these words in chapter 24? The earth mourns and withers. The world wastes away and withers. The earth is polluted by its inhabitants, polluted by sin. For they've transgressed teachings and overstepped decrees and broken the permanent covenant. Therefore, a curse has consumed the earth, and its inhabitants have become guilty. Do you get this? The planet is tired of people. Like a dog is tired of fleas, covered with fleas. Sinful people all over this planet, and insane people all over this planet. The truth of Ecclesiastes 9.3, there's an evil... And all that is done under the sun. What is that evil? There's one fate for everyone. You know what that evil is? Everyone dies. Solomon goes on. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. So Solomon says, let's get real. Everyone on this planet is on death row. And almost everyone on this planet is full of evil and full of madness and full of insanity. So welcome to planet Earth. You live in one big insane asylum. That's where you live. Most of the occupants here have lost their minds, and all of the occupants are on death row. So stay positive. And you may say, man, it's so hard to be positive living on this Earth. It's so hard to be positive as a person on this planet. How do I do it? Well, we just looked at eight weeks of stay positive. And I would encourage you to go back and podcast it and listen listen to the word of God, which teaches us, teaches us so importantly, how to keep our sanity in an insane world. Now, here's the good news. The good news is the end is awesome. The end is awesome. Back to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 15 up above where we read earlier. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. That's great news if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him for i consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared or not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us and so this is what he says on this planet i don't want you living in fear and i don't want you living in despair and i don't want you living in cynicism or pessimism or negativity he says i want you living in anticipation of anticipation of an incredible glory that is coming your way, incomparable glory that you are going to experience. promised glory for you, child of God. See, God wants us going from groaning to glory because the end is awesome. And by the way, the end is just the beginning. So stay positive. And what we're gonna do this morning, we're gonna stay positive by looking at heaven. Do you know heaven is mentioned more than 600 times in the scriptures And when I refer to heaven this morning, I'm going to refer to heaven in the broadest sense possible. Okay? So heaven refers to where we go when we die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Heaven refers to paradise. Jesus tells the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven refers to the new Jerusalem. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I believe that's the new Jerusalem. It also refers to the eternal state. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm gonna use heaven in the broadest sense possible But because I don't have time to go into all the details and intricacies of heaven. That's, that's a whole 10-week series that someday, Lord willing, I'll preach, okay? Today, though, is gonna be the highlights. It's, it's gonna be what's gonna whet our appetite for what's to come. So we're gonna start off, the end, is, the end is awesome, and when you come to the end, you are given an angelic escort. And you would say, what? Well, Jesus tells of a poor man in Luke chapter 16. And Jesus will contrast a very poor man who has nothing, but he has God, with a very rich man who has everything, but he doesn't have God. And he will also contrast a place of paradise, heaven, with a place of torment, hell, or Hades. We see it in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. Poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. That's paradise. That's heaven. You have a poor man who's hungry He has little by way of this world's goods. He's covered in sores and the dogs are licking them. And then he dies. And there's no fanfare. No attention by the world. No one remembers him seemingly. Very few probably, if any, attend his funeral. No one seems to care. But God does. God cares. And God sees him. And God sends for him. And he sends the angels for his soul. I want you to understand something. You may mean nothing to the people of this world. You may be one nameless person among a mass of humanity, unappreciated, uncared for, even quickly forgotten, but not to God. You are special to your God, you are his child, and he loves you. And you will be given the honor of an angelic escort home to heaven one day. See, Psalm 116, 15 says, the death of his faithful ones is valuable or precious in the Lord's sight. When one of his beloved children dies, it is precious in the sight of God. And I believe this angelic escort is prescriptive, not just descriptive. Meaning I believe it takes place for every single child of God. You will have the honor of experiencing upon your death the angelic escort to heaven. Jesus taught that after the tribulation, similar truths, Matthew chapter 24. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect, his children, from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Angelic beings are the collectors of souls and one day your soul will be collected by an angel. Ecclesiastes 12:7. the dust returns to the earth as it was. Our bodies go in the grave and they decay. The spirit or the soul returns to God who gave it. And now you know how it gets there. For before the coroner comes for your body, the angels have come for your soul. It makes you wonder who's in the room when your loved one who's a believer breathes their last breath. And it only makes sense for of angels we read in Hebrews chapter 1. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So maybe there's one final act of service for these angels. And that's to bring God's beloved child home to heaven. And that's the second thing we learn. Not only are we given an angelic escort, you are finally home in heaven. You know, there's military personnel deployed all over the world. And American soldiers are deployed in four main areas. Japan, Germany, South Korea, and Italy. And when they're deployed, they're deployed for an average of six to 12 months, okay? And then when they come home, they arrive home to scenes like these. Like a dad seeing his baby for the very first time. A husband and wife embracing. A mom and a son just hugging and crying or maybe just a big old family group hug. Think about that. What I want you to understand is that you're on deployment to planet Earth right now. That's where you are. You are in enemy occupied territory. This is a hostile environment. You're in a war zone. Wherever you are, whether you've been deployed to Illinois or whether you've been deployed to some other state somewhere. You're in a war zone, and by the way, that's why you're given the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six. You need to be wearing that armor of God every single solitary day if you're gonna make it in the war zone. And, and this life is one battle after another battle after another battle for our entire lives. And it's not continual without breaks, but it is hard at times, and it's hurtful, and it's tiring, and, and we can get beat up pretty bad with the battles we face. And there's emotional scars. And there's physical scars. I want you to understand you're going home. Your deployment is going to end. You're not here forever. It will soon be over. This is not your home. Heaven is your home. The Philippians needed to be reminded of this, so Paul would write to them in chapter three, our citizenship is in Illinois. No. Our citizenship is in America. No. Our citizenship is where? in heaven. I'm an American. I'm a patriot. I love my country. But first and foremost, I'm a child of God. And first and foremost, I'm a citizen of heaven. See, we don't belong here. We know there is more to this life than this life. God has put it inside of us. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 3, he has also put eternity in our hearts. We know this life is not everything. We know there's more. He's placed it in there. There's eternity in our hearts. Or as C.S. Lewis put it, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Amen, C.S. Lewis. You were made for another world. You were made for heaven. Heaven is your home, child of God. That's why we groan here. We long for home. We know there's more than here. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness, out of the asylum, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. You would not receive mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. What did he call us? You're a stranger here. You're an exile here. You don't fit in here. You don't fit in on this planet, if you haven't noticed. You don't fit in here. And the people of the insane asylum think we're nuts. They're the ones that are nuts. Now, I want you to, I want to talk to some of you because some of you just want everybody to like you. You want everybody to love you, and you need to hear the words of Jesus in John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, just a couple chapters later in John 17, the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Please understand this. The world is never going to understand you. But you understand the world. Paul had to remind the Corinthian Christians of this. He put it this way in chapter 2. But the person without the Spirit, the people in the insane asylum, the people who are not followers of God, they do not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is what to them? It's foolishness to them. What you're doing right now is foolishness to the people of this world. Going to church, that's foolish to the people of this world. Singing songs of praise to some God you can't see, that's foolishness to the people of this world. Reading the Bible and believing it, that's foolish. Serving God, giving to God, fellowshipping with God's people, this is all foolishness to the people of this world. The passage goes on. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, that's the child of God, however, can evaluate everything. And yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. The world doesn't get you, but you get the world. You can evaluate this world. You can rightfully do so because the Spirit of God is inside of you. Heaven is your home and you know it. And when you die, you're going home. 2 Corinthians 5.8. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from this body and be home with the Lord. And God has prepared a home. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Do you notice how he starts that passage off? I don't want you troubled. And some of you are troubled. And oftentimes we're troubled in this world. We're kind of like a boat taking on water. and starts to sink. It starts to list. It starts to lean to one side. And under the struggles, under the sorrows, under the stress of this world. Our hearts take on these things. And we find it hard to even function sometimes as we sink under the weight of our sorrows and our struggles. And what does Jesus say? You must believe. You must believe in God and you must believe in me. You must believe. You must believe in my word. You must believe in my promises. You must believe in my love. You must believe that there is a greater purpose. You must believe all things are going to work out for good. You must believe. Do you get this? Belief is the bucket that helps you bail out your boat. You must believe in God. You must trust in his word. You must hold to his promises. Belief is the bucket that helps you take care of the sorrows and take care of the struggles and take care of all the stress and strain that you're going through in this life. See, God wants you sailing. He doesn't want you sinking. And belief is the bucket that's gonna help you bail out of your problems. You gotta get on your knees and you gotta tell God you're gonna trust him. And you gotta hold on to his promises. You gotta take care, you gotta take hold of the bucket of belief is what you need to do. And realize God is in charge and God is sovereign and God does have a plan. And it's gonna be okay. And you can float again. And you can sail again. So get out the bucket of your belief and start bailing and start believing, and start trusting in your God again. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, it's time to start believing in your God again, and trusting in him. He says, there's no reason to be troubled. Start believing in me. Start trusting in me. And then he says, by the way, I got a room ready for you. First 2 of John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. For were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. So listen carefully, when the angels bring you to heaven someday, you're never going to hear, sorry, your room's not ready. You're never going to hear, uh, hold on, there's no vacancy, but it'll open up soon. You're never going to hear that. Your room is ready. God has it ready. My wife and I love when our older kids come home. We've got one daughter at home still, four out of the house. But when we, we hear they're going to come for a visit, What do you think we get ready? The house is ready. The room is ready. We we clean. My wife shops, makes favorite foods. It's It's awesome. We get everything prepared. Do you understand that's what God does for his children? He says, I'm getting everything ready. I've prepared a place for you. See, when my kids come, they don't even understand all the prep work that goes in. Just like you don't understand all the prep work that God has done for you because he loves you and he cares for you so much. Truly, Psalm 1615 is true. The death of his faithful ones is valuable. It's so precious in the Lord's sight. There is room for you. Now, the question is there is room for God's child. Some of you have not become children of God yet. A room could be made available for you, but you need to make sure you're going to heaven. See, there's two questions you need to be able to answer. This is the first one If you were to die today, do you know for certain you would go to heaven? oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Or maybe you're like, I'm not sure. You need to be able to settle that question. If you died right now, do you know for certain you would go to heaven? But then you need to be able to answer the second question. That's the why question. If you died today and met God at the gate of heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? There's only one right answer. Do you know the answer? See, if you were to say, well, why should God let me into heaven? Well, I'm a really good person. And wrong answer. Do you know why? Because you're not a really good answer good person. You're a depraved, wicked, rotten sinner, just like me. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a pastor. Are you kidding me? I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ has died for my sins and I've asked him to be my savior. It's the only way any of us can go to heaven. And so if you're here today and you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person or you've done good things, you're not going to heaven. You need to understand you're not good enough to go to heaven. You need to ask the Lord to be your savior. You've got to believe in him and place your trust in him. And so heaven can be your home and we're going home and God has prepared a home. And by the way, it's a forever home. Psalm 23:6. surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How many days? All the days of my life. That's your life here on earth. To experience the faithful love and mercy and goodness of God every single day. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. That is God's promise to you, child of God. So stay positive. The end is awesome. You're going to be given an angelic escort. You're finally going home to heaven. Here's a third thing. You're going to experience absolute perfection. You've never experienced that. Even you people that are perfectionists have not experienced that. You have no idea what perfection is. We're not even close to perfection. What does perfection look like? Well, ultimately, it will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It'll be the eternal state is what heaven is. And everything that comes with it. Revelation chapter 21, the first five verses, gives us a glimpse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful. These words are true. The absolute perfection of heaven starts here. God with us dwelling with people once again, the Shekinah glory of God coming among his people. God again fellowshipping with humans in perfection, unhindered, unbroken relationship, just like the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve before sin entered, before the fall, before the curse. See, no more hiding from God, no more sin, no more shame. God again dwelling with his people. Truly, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's perfection. God with us. And means no more tears, we're told in verse 4. He wipes away every tear from their eyes. Literally, it means every single tear. God's gentle touch, his personal comfort. It doesn't mean people arrive in heaven crying. But the tears of earth are going to finally be understood from heaven's perspective will finally understand as God has always understood. Revelation seven seventeen, same truth. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of waters of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So no more tears. No more death, verse 4. Death will be no more. Prophesied in the Old Testament in Isaiah. When he has swallowed up death once for all, the Lord will wipe away tears from every face. Prophesied in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Where is it, death? Death has been defeated. How was death defeated? Easter. That's what it's all about. Good Friday on the cross. Three days later, the resurrection. Death is defeated by death. The sinless son of God dying for you, being raised for you to give you life and life forever and eternal. Hebrews chapter 2, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death that is the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You no longer need to live in the fear of death if you're a child of God. It's power, it's a conquered foe, it's powerless, it's been declawed, it's been defanged, okay? It's been destroyed. Death is no more. Revelation 20, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so what does this mean? Death will be no more. There will never again ever be another funeral service one day. There will never be a wake or a visitation. You will never read another obituary. There will be no tombstones. Understand that. Death is no more. And there's no more grief, verse four. Grief will be no more. There's no heavy hearts in heaven. Grief is gone. Sorrow is erased. It's kind of like if I had a big whiteboard here with all kinds of sentences and phrases and everything else or math and numbers and and then I wiped it clean. It's gone. But you know, you can still see some of the numbers, some of the letters, not when it comes to grief or sorrow. God says it's completely wiped clean. And some of you here today, maybe you still grieve, you still have sorrow, deep sorrow with the loss of a spouse, loss of a parent, loss of a child, a friend. I want you to understand all of that sorrow will be taken care of, completely healed, wiped away, replaced with uninterrupted joy one day. It says there's no more crying in verse 4. It's very interesting. There's no more tears Tears are the visible sign of sorrow. And there's no more crying. Crying is the vocal sign of sorrow. He says there will be no visible signs of sorrow. There will be no vocal signs of sorrow. Not the faintest whimper. Not the faintest sniffle of sorrow. And then he says there's no more pain. Pain will be no more, praise God. You will never experience physical pain again. And some of you are in physical pain even right now, being in church. Do you realize there's no migraines? There's no upset stomachs. There's no broken bones, torn ligaments. There's no toothaches. There's no cavities. There's no loss of vision. There's no no loss of hearing. I'll say it again. There's no loss of hearing. (laughs) Think about it. There's no thrown out backs or slipped discs. There's no chemotherapy or radiation and all of its side effects. There's no itching from poison ivy or sunburn or bug bites. There's no infections or stubbed toes. There's, there's no medications. No, no, no cough medicines or any itch creams or band-aids. There's no painkillers. There's no hunger pains in heaven. Revelation seven sixteen, They will no longer hunger, no longer thirst. The sun will not strike them. Nor will any scorching heat. There's no physical discomfort at all. There's no physical pain. There's no emotional pain. There's no broken relationships or betrayal. There are no lies or deceit. There's no abuse. There's no being taken advantage of. There's nothing stolen from you. No one can cause you pain ever again. Not an ex spouse. Not a coworker, not a parent, not a child, not a stranger, no one. Thank you for that, amen. I'll take that. Amen. Do you understand in heaven, pain is impossible. You are 100% immune to every and any pain. And God gives us guarantee in verse 5, these words are faithful. And these words are true. There's no more wickedness. You'll never have to deal with another wicked person. You'll never be tormented by any of their wicked actions. And you don't have to worry about the wicked getting what they deserve or getting away with something. They don't. And they never will. Revelation 21.8. The cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. No more cowards who refuse to stand up for what is right. No more faithless who refuse to do what is right. No more detestable, meaning those who arrogantly and egotistically just indulge in the sins of this world. No more murderers taking the lives of others. No more sexually immoral flaunting their perversion of every and any kind in their face and making a mockery of of purity. Heaven is a place of absolute moral purity. No more sorcerers, whether that's spiritism or the occult. No more idolaters, any kind of false worship. He says, no more liars. Never another lie will you hear or be told. And never another liar will you meet. You've heard the question, where do liars go? Well, that verse just told you, in the lake that burns with fire. And I know some of you may be thinking, Scott, I've I've committed some of those sins. I've been sexually immoral. I've told lies. I've done things I should have never done. That's the beauty of the grace of God. And the mercy of God. Let me read a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's not politically correct but it's biblically correct. And I want you to notice what it says. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? He's going to tell you who's not going to heaven. Listen up. Do not not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. They are not going to heaven here's the good news. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, hallelujah. He says, I know some of you have committed horrible sins in your life. And that's where the grace and mercy of God comes in. He says, it doesn't matter what you've done and it doesn't matter how bad you've done it. He says, I can save you and I can forgive you. If you let God show his grace to you. But you must repent of your your sin. You've got to humble your heart before your God. You've got to come before this holy God. And you've got to say, God, I'm sorry and I'm broken. And I'm not going to make any excuses for my sin. And I don't care what the world says is right and wrong. All that matters is what you say is right and wrong. And so repent of your sin. And ask the Lord to forgive you. And he will because he loves you and he died for your sins and let him wash you and let him sanctify you, meaning set you apart and let him justify you, meaning he'll declare you righteous, why? Because of Jesus Christ taking your sin. That's the power of God's grace and mercy. So he says no more tears, no more death, no more grief, no more crying, no more pain, no more wickedness, why? Because there's no more curse. Revelation 22.3, and there will no longer be any curse. All we've ever known is the insane asylum. All we've ever known is the curse of of sin and the curse of this planet and the tears and the death and the grief and the crying and the pain and the wickedness. All we've known is enemy-occupied territory. All we've known is the battle of this world and the battle against our sin nature. One day soon you will be out from under the curse forever. You're gonna go from groaning to glory and everything will be perfect and complete. And maybe that's why Solomon wrote these words in chapter seven of Ecclesiastes. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. That seems weird. Do you understand what he's saying? When you die, it's gonna be your best day yet. Because you're finally gonna be free from the insane asylum and free from your sin nature and in the presence of God carried there by the angels. Do you understand what's coming? Stay positive. Man, the end is awesome. All things new. Philippians 1:21 for to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is that's okay. No. To die is gain, glorious gain, great gain. Revelation 21.5, the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything what? New, which brings us to our next point. You receive a brand new body. Woohoo! I mean, think about that. See, some of you think getting a brand new pair of jeans or a haircut or shoes is special. Please, people, you're getting a new body. Tell the person next to you, ask them, are you ready for a new body? Ask them. I'm going to ask my wife that. You ready for a new body? (laughs) Do you understand you're going to be radically transformed? You're going to have a heavenly body? Philippians, back to Philippians. It talks about our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. I'm going to read it again. He will transform your body, the humble condition of your body, into the likeness of his resurrected glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He is God and he's going to transform your body one day. Listen, different requirements for different citizenships. What do I mean by that? An earthly citizenship requires an earthly body. That's what you and I have. A heavenly citizenship requires a heavenly body. Heaven is sinless. You need a sinless body. Heaven is perfect. You need a perfect body. I know some of you are thinking, but I thought absent from the body, present with the Lord. I die the angels come for my spirit and my soul, but my body goes in the ground and it decays. And that's just where it stays. Wrong. I want you to understand something. Your soul is in heaven awaiting the resurrection of your body that will be raised out of that grave and glorified. See, listen so carefully. God cares for you, God has created you, and He's not just created you spiritually with a soul, He's also created you physically. God loves you completely. He's not just going to redeem your soul. He's also going to redeem your body. He's got a plan for both. That's the goodness and the greatness of our God. He cares for you spiritually, and he also cares for you physically. See, change is coming. Daniel 12, 2. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life. Amen and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the greatest chapter on, on the resurrection, puts it this way. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, that's this human body, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's Jesus, and his resurrected body. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go to heaven in the state in which you are in. You can't go to heaven in this body. Nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. You are going to go from a humble body to a heavenly body. You are going to go from a body that is dead and decaying in the ground to a body that is glorious and resurrected. You're getting a new body, transformed, glorified, and resurrected. And it will be a body like the Lord's. 1 John chapter three. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, that's Jesus, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You will be like the Lord. You won't be the Lord. You will be like him. Your body will be like his. And everyone, verse three, who has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Listen, your body will be like Jesus's body. Jesus had a real physical body that was glorified. It was a true body. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't an apparition. He would tell Thomas, stick your fingers in my side. Stick your finger in my hand, the hole. He would eat food fish, bread from the shore of Galilee. You will have a physical body, but a spiritual body that is a perfect body. It has been transformed. It has been glorified. And by the way, it will be recognizable. Jesus was recognizable. So you will be recognizable in your perfect glorified body. But don't miss the last phrase. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope Fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You must have your hope fixed on him. I want you to understand that. If you struggle with purity in this life, it's because you have the wrong perspective in this life. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So sin sneaks into our lives and we give in to those temptations because our eyes and our hope is not fixed where it should be. It must be fixed, not in the wrong place, but in the right place. See, listen, if your hope is fixed in the wrong place, first of all, why would you fix your hope in this insane asylum? There's nothing here for you, child of God. Why would you fix your hope on the stuff of this earth? You're not taking anything with you and you have eternity ahead of you. Why would you fix your, your hope on anybody here, or even on ourselves, our selfishness? We must fix our hope on him. And that's what purifies us in this life. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow. They'll grow dim, strangely dim, in the light of his glory and grace. See, the end is awesome angelic escort, finally home, absolute perfection, brand new body. Here's the next thing. You inherit heaven and all of its riches. Get ready. 1 Corinthians 2.9. As it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, what God has prepared, prepared these things for those who love him. God is just going to blow you away with what's coming, surpassing riches of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, coming thousands of years, coming tens of thousands of years, coming of all eternity, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You are never going to stop learning and experiencing and receiving God's grace and God's kindness and God's love and God's mercy. It is never going to end. He tells us about this, this heavenly inheritance that will be ours in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, listen, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's imperishable, it never loses value. It's undefiled, it can't be ruined, touched by sin. It's unfading. It's like a a flower in bloom at the height of its bloom, at the height of its beautiful scent, at the height of the vibrancy of colors, and it never fades. That's heaven. It never, ever fades in vibrancy. It never, ever fades in beauty. It never, ever fades in color. It never, ever fades. And he says, that's what I've kept for you. That's what you have coming to you, child of God. That's what you're going to experience, child of God, for all of eternity, forever. It's kept for you. Do you realize an inheritance? Someone has to die for you to receive an inheritance. Do you realize someone had to die for you to receive this heavenly inheritance? And his name was Jesus. And he died so that you could be saved. And he died so that you could experience his love. He died so that you could experience his grace and his mercy and his care and his wisdom and his power and his glory forever and ever. He died for you. That's how much he loves you. Surpassing riches of grace, eternal heavenly inheritance, you also have rewards coming. Look at Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, when the people of the insane asylum go after you and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. He says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. You should be thrilled. And the people in this insane asylum go after you because you're a Christian. Why? He says, take note because your reward is great in heaven. He says, hang in there. Deployment is almost over. You're going to be home soon, and you'll be rewarded. Faithfulness of our lives will be rewarded. 1 Corinthians 3.12, we have the judgment seat of Christ. All Christians are judged. It's not the great white throne judgment of unbelievers for heaven or hell but it's the judgment of believers before Jesus based on the stewardship of my life and your life and what we did with our lives for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it is to be revealed by fire. God is going to test us with fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. He's going to put us through the fire, not a judgment fire, But our lives will be tested. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. The things that you've done for God and sought his glory and the service for him. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So maintain faithfulness to God. Live for God. Serve God while you're on this planet. Use your spiritual gift, Christian. Some of you are just sitting on your spiritual gift. Do you realize he gave you a gift? What are you doing with your gift? Some of you have the gift of mercy, and others the gift of service, and the gift of leadership, the gift of preaching, or the gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of helps. Do you even know your spiritual gift? Are you using your spiritual gift? By the way, we have a spiritual gift survey. You can go online and take the spiritual gifts. Just go to atharvest.church. Our, our website, and we have a spiritual gifts test you can take. Find out what your spiritual gift is. God says, those who live for me have rewards coming. Stay positive. The end is awesome. You inherit heaven and all its riches. And one more thing, you're going to rule and reign with God forever. Daniel seven twenty seven. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms of, under all the heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. That's you. All the kingdoms of this world will be given to you. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him. Revelation 5.10, you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Heaven comes to this earth and you're in charge. Revelation 22.5 or three through five The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. Say it with me. And they will reign forever and ever. You know, sometimes we don't like how elections go or they don't go the way that we like them to go. Big picture, people! God has taken over the planet! It's gonna be a new earth, a perfect earth, a sinless earth where he is gonna rule and reign and you are going to help rule over it with him forever. So stay positive. The end is awesome and go from groaning to glory. And what have we learned? You're gonna be given an angelic escort. You are finally home in heaven. You experience absolute perfection. You receive a brand new body. You inherit heaven with all its riches And you rule and reign with God forever. Praise His name. The end is awesome. And and the end is just the beginning. Let's pray together. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. You who are Christians, you know the Lord. Would you just give thanks to God? Would you thank Him that He cares not only for your soul, that He cares for your body? And that one day it'll be glorified and resurrected. Would you thank God for his death on the cross and saving you from your sins? Would you confess any sin right now? Any attitudes that you have had? Any temptations that you have been given into because you have not been fixed on the things above and on your Savior? Would you confess that to the Lord? Christian, would you start bailing out the boat today? Tell God you're going to trust his word. You're going to believe in him. You're going to renew your faith in your God and you're gonna stop sinking in sorrow. And you're gonna start sailing again. No more self-pity. Start bailing out the boat and trust in your God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're here today and you've not come to faith in Jesus. You need to trust in him for your salvation. You need to ask him to save you right now from your sins. He knows your sin, and he still loves you. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I need the Lord, what do I need to do? In the quietness of your heart right now, would you just call out to the Lord, sincerely in your heart, just call out to him and use words like these, Lord, I need salvation. Would you please forgive me? Would you forgive me of all of my sin, all of my shame and all of my guilt? God, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. I place my faith in you. I can't be good enough to get to heaven, ever. Only you are good enough to get me there. I place my faith in you to save me. Please forgive me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest's new beginnings? Visit at harvest.church.